you brought your copy of God's Word, you can open with me to Luke chapter 2. Be looking briefly at the Christmas story this morning. And um, you can see right here this morning, we're going to be looking at Luke 2, 1 through 7. And now let me invite you briefly to come back tonight, our candlelight service, where we will pick up with this story. And tonight we will finish by looking at verses 8 through 20. But if you think about it, all the songs <clears throat> that we've been singing this morning remind us of, ver of a very familiar uh, story that's found here in Luke's gospel and in, other, and in some other gospels. This Christmas story really is a very simple story, isn't it? It doesn't get very complicated. It's as simple as understanding the, the gospel and the Lord's table that we just partook of. The, the concepts are very basic indeed. Yet, this very basic story is by far the most profound and most glorious of truths that have ever been told the world over. It was Christ himself who divided time. We keep our histories, our world, on, on a world calendar, we keep time based off of one man. The splitting of time was in the person of Jesus Christ himself. And when you think about it also, it's a very simple story of promise. In one way, we could just simply say that our God is a promise keeper promise made, and in the advent of Jesus Christ, the birth of Christ, promise kept. Now, there's lots of human history that existed between that uh, offering there in Genesis 3 and the reality of the birth of Christ, but that's what makes up this stuff that we call history, and it's interesting that it's his story, isn't it? It's what it is. It's we tend to make things a lot more complicated than they really are. The Word of God tells us of the only true and living God who has always existed. And if you think about, uh, if you have an exercise in the life of your mind and you try to comprehend just for a moment the eternality of God, um, your mind just kind of goes blank in essence. You you're on a trail and you're chasing up this trail and all of a sudden it just vanishes. It just into the ether. We live in a world of causality. Everything has causation. And if you do an infinite regression in causality, ultimately you're going to end up in that ether. Because we know intuitively, empirically, scientifically, we know that Something does not come from nothing. You cannot get something from nothing. The sum total of nothing plus nothing is nothing. Always has been, always will be, and contrary to what our modern culture might say, but I don't feel like I like that. Well, sorry. Facts are facts and truth is truth. And at the end of all those however far back you want to go, you have to have God or we have nothing. And so here we exist today in light of this 
simple story that God, who's always existed, put on a suit of flesh. He became, like one, became one like us for the sole purpose of bringing glory to himself. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And so this idea of redeeming back to himself these image bearers that, that uh, he made uh, uh, in, of his own likeness who are now fallen because of sin, possessing a sin nature at birth, in need of being rescued from that place of total depravity is one way that we theologically think of that. Um, how many of you at one point in your life were parents or grandparents? I don't see any. You, okay, you got here somehow. Um <laughs> We all, we all, empirical data tells us um, you've never once had to teach your children to lie, to steal, to dishonor mom and dad. It's that you just go through these Ten Commandments. You've never once had to teach them these things. And that falls into this category of the doctrine of total depravity because of what Adam and Eve did. Because of Adam's fall, all fell. If you've ever struggled with culpability, well, why would God find me culpable? Why am I somehow culpable of something I didn't do or of some knowledge that I don't possess? You can wrestle with that <clears throat> for the rest of your lives. Or you can rest in the knowledge that the Word of God tells us that our culpability is rooted in Adam. We're going to see this. Paul reminded of, reminds us of this very profound truth in very simple terms in Romans chapter 5. He said, so then as through one transgression, and this one transgression here is the transgression of Adam. Through one transgression there resulted, as a result of this one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. And if you're really big on the doctrine of fairness, the fairness doctrine, and you say, well, that's just, that's not fair. Well, at the end of the day, God didn't take a vote to find out if we thought it was going to be fair or not. And we have to come to grips with the fact that we're floating on a planet in space and surrounded by galaxies and stars and other planets. And where did things come from? Because things don't come from nothing. Things come from something. And when you think of the intelligence of the design of the things that we observe amongst ourselves, just the human body itself, is staggering. The engineering, the mind of engineering that the Creator must have that made this, these things that we observe must be the most intelligent creature being that's ever existed, ever, because the materials that He had to even make the things that we see The word of God says came ex nihilo, from nothing except through the power of his word. Think about that. This is, the, this is the message of Merry Christmas. Maybe not the traditional one, but I want you to think really deeply about why you're here on this Lord's Day. Why here, why now? We're going to see in our text in just a little bit that God is in the habit of moving masses of humanity to accomplish his purposes. Nothing's different today. He's moved 
a mass of humanity across the world today, and he moved you. And here we sit to think and to contemplate over the advent of Jesus Christ and why we needed the advent. And Paul lets us know because of Adam's transgression, condemnation resulted to all of us. Even so, through one act of righteousness, that's Jesus, there resulted, the result of that is justification of life to all men. See how simple the problem gets described and the solution is presented. It really is that simple. So let me tell you, if, you've, if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and, I, that doesn't, I'm, that do, I'm, not, and I'm not talking about just having walked an aisle and said a prayer. I'm talking about having surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's conversion. Words do not make a conversion. Lives demonstrate the fruit of the lips. If there's no root, there's no fruit, there's no conversion. If you've not done that, you need to consider afresh and anew the Word of God, that God, in His kindness, had an advent of Himself in a human flesh for you. And he moved you as he moves masses of humanity today to be at a place where you could hear a message and be reminded of this reality so that you could leave this place a different person, meaning that you're now in a relationship with the only true and living God through his son who came and brought justification to you, all people, because you are guilty, you were condemned in Adam's transgression. It's what the word of God teaches. Verse 19, for as... Through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. We don't like that word too much today. We don't call them sinners. We just call it disease. A person who we used to say, well, they, they're sinning by the... It's no longer... We've, we've, we've changed terminology. Sin is no longer sin. It's, a, it's about disease, and it's about addiction, but it's never about sin. Have you noticed that? It's part of the long war against God that Satan has... It has, has been brewing in the, in the human culture of time, over, over all of human culture and time to lead people away from the true knowledge of God. If you don't, re if you don't recognize that you're a sinner in need of saving, if you just think of yourself as a, as a victim of your genetics and as a result of my dad being the alcoholic, I became the alcoholic, we're just victims of genetics and that's all it is and it's a disease and thus we can practice medicine and take pills in order to cure these diseases and we never get to the core and the root issue, the fact that we are sinners because of Adam's sin, we'll never get to the place where we understand the advent ever, why Jesus needed to come in the first place. We just won't get there. We need to understand that through the one man's, Adam's disobedience, <clears throat> the many, all of us, are sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that means the likes of every single one of us in this room here today. That sin nature impacted every single one of us in this room today. And you need to run to the one. See the one? Even so, through the obedience of the one. And that's who gets presented every Lord's Day through the teaching of God's Word. And on, in Christmas season, he's the one who's the babe born lowly and mild. He's the one that the children were singing about this morning. He's the one that we were singing about in all the songs that we've been singing this morning. He's the one. 
and through the one, as we rehearsed with the Lord's table, there is an imputation of his righteousness to those who will but fall on him. Die to self. You know, it's the beauty of, of the other ordinance of the church, of baptism, of, of believer's baptism. You bury them in the water, symbolizing death, death to self, and the identification of death with Christ in burial. But, but thankfully, we don't leave you under the water. Well, there's some of you we probably ought to at least do a little waterboarding or something just to make you a little more mindful that, that heaven is closer than you might think. But we bring you back up, and what do we say? Raised to walk in newness of life. It's not just a catchphrase. And it's all because of the one, Christ. Paul has contrasted these two men, Adam and Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and in this contrast, we are to rightly understand that all people currently are either in Adam or are in Christ. All people around this world today are either in Adam, they're still in, under the condemnation of sin, or they are set free from that and standing in the righteousness of Christ by grace through faith alone. Make no mistake about it. And there's a second advent that's coming that's going to bear proof to this claim. And as sure as the prophets foretold the first coming and he came, the same prophets foretold a second coming. And I wouldn't bet against it. We got enough history. We have enough empirical data. We know we've got a book and we've got history. And it, and it lines up perfectly. He's coming Again, and these are some profound truths. When we uh, say Merry Christmas to each other, these are some of the really profound truths that would be good for us to be mindful of. Our English word Merry is an adjective that has the idea of being cheerful and lively. Cheerful and lively. Merry Christmas. Why are we able to be cheerful and lively? Because of Christ. Christ has renewed our hearts. He's given us new hearts of flesh that now desire to be pleasing to Him. We have, he has made our hearts lively unto Him. He's made our hearts cheerful, cheery. We now have desires that want to be pleasing to Him. Where we once just were desiring to please ourselves, that, by the way, isn't called Mary. That's called narcissism. Narcissism isn't just something that somebody else has narcissism is rooted into the sin nature and it's the heart of pride in all people it's that simple oh i'm not narcissistic that's the most narcissistic thing you ever said christ makes us merry adam made us narcissists sinners who love ourselves we love ourselves we look out for ourselves we take care of ourselves we meet our own pleasures our own needs and we go for them with everything we got i can promise you this People can say anything they want to say, but they do what they love. You don't listen to what somebody says. You watch what they do. People do what they love. People do what brings them pleasure. Does obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ bring you greater pleasure than the pleasures of this world? Watch what they do when temptation comes knocking. Because God has given us a power of the Holy Spirit by which it's not in our own strength. It's not in our own flesh. He's given us power of the Holy Spirit 
Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. This worldly system that brings the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I didn't get enough amens. I'm not trying to force you to want to be obedient like that. But I want you to think about these things. So when you say Merry Christmas to somebody, what are we saying? What have we turned the Merry Christmas into in our culture today? We've turned it into a meaningless phrase, and some people have even gone so far to move away from that meaningless phrase and turn it into happy holidays. It's even more meaningless. We live on a planet that's floating in space because there was a God who in the beginning spoke the word, ex nihilo, and created everything we see, and the beauty of his design is irresistible, and by his grace he drew our hearts to himself, and we, lo and we love him, and thus we serve him from a place that's merry. Mary, it's not about us anymore. We died with him, and then we were raised to walk differently in newness of life. And that's why it's Merry Christmas as a concept isn't just a once-per-year thing. I mean, sure, we, <clears throat> we do that, <clears throat> and we kind of say it exclusively at that one time of year thing, but in reality, the fact that this little babe was born in Bethlehem, wrapped in strips of cloth and placed in the feeding trough in order to make us righteous ought to make us merry all year long to the praise and glory of God. Listen, if you've come into this service this morning with an understanding of your religion, you know, an understanding of your Christianity that doesn't kind of line up with what Jesus says about it and what the Word of God says about it, let me encourage you to reconsider your Merry Christmas here today. What makes you merry? Is it Christ? Has Christ enlivened your heart? Is it Christ who's made you merry? Because therein is truth, the true merry in Merry Christmas indeed. Let me show you a couple things really quickly. Really quickly. In Luke 2, 1 through 3. Check this out. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus <clears throat> that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. In these first three verses we simply have a very basic historical understanding that Caesar Augustus, who was the Roman emperor from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D., uh, who um, was the one who brought about what was known as the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. This is the man who desired to have a, a census taken of all the inhabited earth, and in particular, he was kind of at odds with Herod during this time, and he wanted a, a very particular numbering of the Jewish citizenry for the express purpose of taxation. And so he called for this census to be taken. And you see what happened right there in verse 3? Notice this. And everyone was on his way to register, each to his own city. Think of the power. Think of the one man, can his edict... <clears throat> can make a decree, and you see everyone moving back to their hometowns for such a city, for such a time as this. Now, 
when we think of that emperor and the power that he has is one way of looking at and thinking about this passage. I'm wanting us to step back from that just for a moment and think about another biblical passage that reminds us something about these emperors, these kings, these Caesar, Augustuses of the world. Proverbs 21.1 tells us this. From God's perspective, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. And he turns it wherever he wishes. Proverbs 21 lets us know that every king or emperor or president or chancellor of the world over, whoever it may be, they have hearts and their hearts are like channels of water in the hand of the Lord, which lets us know that it's God who then has the ability to turn those hearts ultimately in order to bring about in history, his story, uh, the things that he has planned to accomplish here on earth for his purposes. Which lets us know through Luke and his story that Luke simply portrays Augustus as the unknown agent of God whose decree leads to the fulfillment of the promised rise of a special ruler from Bethlehem in accordance of Micah 5, chapter 2. Do you think that, um, do you think in any way possible that Caesar Augustus was thinking about Micah 5, 2? when he made a decree that a census be taken that would move people each to his own city? Was he thinking about the, the reality? As it says in Micah 5, 2, Bethlehem of Pephrath, you are small among the clans of Judah. One, remember the one that Paul was talking, talking about in Romans 5? One will come from you to be ruler over Israel. That's Christ the Lord. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. We talked a little bit about, about eternity here this morning, but do you think in the smallest way at all that Caesar, Augustus, calling for a census to be taken, to move people, had this in mind at all? Not at all. Zero chance of that. And also, he had no idea that his heart was like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He was doing exactly what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it, when he wanted to do it, because he had his own plans, his own mind, doing what he wanted to do. Merry Christmas. Our God rules and reigns from heaven above. He moves the masses of humanity at his pleasure through the edicts and dictates of evil kings and emperors and Caesars, Augustuses, he moves them through their hearts so that he can rule the world as he pleases, as his planned and predetermined will will be accomplished. Have you ever thought about the first advent in light of the reality of the sovereignty of God? And again, make no mistake about it, God is still in the business of moving a mass of humanity today to accomplish his purposes and his will. So the latest decree from Biden or whoever it may be that maybe inconveniences you and causes you to have to migrate somewhere or do this or go there or do that, never forget, church, never forget we may be the generation, that last generation that undergoes persecution like, like the church has never seen before. We may be in that last generation. We don't know. 
But never forget, if things get that bad, never forget that God is sovereign in the heavens and he orchestrates everything and he moves masses of humanity to accomplish his purpose and his will. That's a fact. So you don't have to second guess. Oh, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have gone there. I should have done this. God makes no mistakes. There are no second causes. God is the first cause of all things, and he moves masses of humanity. Don't doubt it. If you doubt it, let me tell you. If you doubt it, you may tell you why you doubt it. There's only one reason you would doubt this. It's because you don't have spiritual eyes to see. That's it. It takes spiritual eyes to see passages like this and understand that our God rules and reigns from heaven. It takes spiritual eyes of faith to see and understand things like this, that the worlds, like we just got talked about earlier, that the worlds were, pre were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not, made, was not made out of things which are visible. You would never believe this if you don't have eyes of faith, ever. But this is what the word of God clearly teaches. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning was the word, and the word I, that's John 1-1. In the beginning was God. God created the heavens and the earth. You can't believe these things without spiritual eyes to see. Never mistake, the advent of Jesus Christ is a perfect place when we say the Merry Christmas to remember that our God is sovereign, He rules from heaven, and He does, oh, whatsoever He pleases, just like He says in Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens, He does whatever He pleases. And let me tell you, as a person standing here with a, with a free will, no, with a, with a will, I have a will, I can put my pencil down, I can pick my pencil up, I can raise my hands, I can sing, I've got a will to do what I want, but you know what, my will has been, contoured to do. It's been contoured to the Word of God, to know God, to love God, to be obedient to God, and I feel that within my bosom, with everything I have within me. Where did that come from? That's a spiritual nature. That came from God. That's because my, my spiritually blind eyes got opened one day, and now I see. I once was blind, now I see. You can only recognize the sovereignty of God over all things, and that He moves masses of humanity like He did here in order to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, the only way that happens is that God is sovereign from heaven. And just as he had a plan there to, to fulfill the advent of Jesus Christ in accordance with Micah 5, 2, he also has a plan now to accomplish a great commission. Matthew 28, 19. That's a fact. And he is moving masses of humanity to accomplish his purposes today, and you're part of that church. It's no mistake that you're right here today and that God has placed you in the place that you, the places in your life where you're at. It's no mistakes. So be all there. Be all in. Be a part of His great redemptive plan. Be used by God. Merry Christmas. Our hearts are merry, lively, because of Christ. He's the sum total of all things. He's the treasure that was buried and hidden in a field. And when God removed your spiritual blind eyes to see, what did your heart do? Rejoice greatly, knowing of the free forgiveness of sins that were to be had in Christ Jesus, and that you would be forever and all eternity with God Almighty, forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Glory to God in the highest. Oh, another psalm that reminds us that God does whatever pleases Him throughout all heaven and earth. Make no mistake, our God reigns from on high. 
Well, I'm backing up here. See this right here? Remember this, pa this page? Remember this one? Say yes. Thank you. Okay, and remember I said, oh, this morning we're going to do chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and then tonight we're going to do 8 through 20. Well, I'm, I'm pulling an audible here. We're going to do 1 through 3 this morning, and tonight we're going to finish this with 4 through 20, which means I have some editing to do on my message tonight. I'll try to do a little less preaching tonight and just stick to my teaching points. But you don't want to miss tonight this story this story is the greatest story of truth that's ever been told. And when we rightly understand this, it should impact us at the core of our being as who we are as people and how we live. Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? This story, as simple as it is, changes your life for time and eternity. For time and eternity. It will change your life for the good. So just put a finger in it right there, picking up in verse 4. But let me, be, let me encourage you to be mindful of some of these profound truths that the advent of Jesus Christ should bring to our recognition, not just once a year, but throughout every day of our lives. There are some deep truths embedded in the reality and the truth of the advent of Christ our Lord. Amen? And let me just say this in closing. Thank you, little brother. Let me say this in closing. Listen, if you're, if you're, and you, if you're here and you know that you, you, you would know, you know, if you're here and you know that you're not Christ's, but you know you want to leave as one of his, as a child of God, I'm just right here. Brother Roy's got the big red sweater on, easy to find. Pastor Matt, right there, easy to find. Brother Nathan, he's right all the way back there. Hey, Nathan. Just come find one of us. We'll gladly spend time and walk you through what it means to have a living relationship with God Almighty through His Son. And if you're one of His, and you know it, because your heart is merry, the Word of God is alive to you. You want to eat it. Like Spurgeon said, when he gets cut, he wants to bleed Bibles. That's like your heart right there. You want to know the Word of God so much, that when you get cut, you want to bleed Bible. Listen, if that's you this morning, Merry Christmas and keep living for Christ. He's coming again.